This morning we're going to continue on this uh, really mini-series because we only have one more week left uh, to share. Like this is part one of, well, part three of four, but part one of the fun stuff and part two of fun stuff's next week. Last week and the week before is boring compared to what's coming. Not that any of you told me that. So anyway, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Last, last week was a lot of fun, actually. Um, but I want to get into uh, what are the trans- transformational things that we've discovered and are still growing in. That's what I want to t- uh, tune into because it's easy to forget um, where we've come from. It's easy to forget uh, our, our previous understanding of how we saw God how we understood the Bible, how we saw Jesus, how we perceived what relationship looks like. We may easily forget. Uh, I just got to go back to my, my roots. I grew up German Baptist, so I got hit with a double sledgehammer, strict and strict, German Baptist, strict, strict. It was nasty. And some of you come from those backgrounds as well. And not everybody had the same experiences. Mine was looking back, I can see how I was groomed into a very strict, rigid picture of who God was, that he's a holy God. And everything matters, what you say, what you do. I think the theme song for the Baptist church was, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Okay, because the Father up above, like Santa Claus, is always watching you, and you better not cry, better not pout. Okay, it's nuts. But that's how we've pictured God growing up. He's like Santa Claus. Isn't it creepy? He knows when you're asleep. He knows when you're awake. Okay, like, the what's that Santa that sits on an elf on a shelf kind of thingy, whatever? Like, stop that. It's projected into our false pictures of who we think God is. And I grew up with that. Halloween, oh my goodness, we got hammered with evil, evil, satanic time. Ah! And, and, and my mom would cave a little bit. Okay, you can do four houses. Come back, do the four houses. Okay, just, just aside. And just every year, the same mess. And oh my goodness, all the rules, rules, rules. Nobody could figure out what all the rules were. It was like rural city, and that, that's where I've come from. Then I realized that as I continued to grow and was able to ask questions, um, I won't tell you the path because it's too long of a story, but when I first discovered my, my initial picture of God's grace, the very first book I ever read that revealed a picture of God being better than I was told was classic Christianity by Bob George. First one. And my sister-in-law gave it to my wife. and made, She made me read it. I was like, here, you should read this. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know? And I should listen to that more because every time she does give me something, it's always good. But that book was the beginning. And then I read Grace Walk. And that had a different lens that opened things up to me that I could never have seen. And I had to wrestle with so many questions from the past because now I'm learning something fresh. It's like, wait a minute, but how does this fit with this? Because this is these are almost opposites. How do I handle this? Do you know what that's called? Deconstruction and reconstruction. I had to deconstruct some faulty concepts. We're going to talk about 10 of them today. Well, five, because I don't think we'll get through them all. Um, and then the... 
then I had to rediscover a more hope-filled perspective on it. And I haven't stopped. That's still going. So let's have a little bit of fun. Our church mission statement is this. If I could have the... Uh, oh, there it is. So this is how we started uh, three weeks ago. So 2020 this is an introduction to the Hope Fellowship family, who we are. Technically, this is from our uh, membership manual. I just hijacked it because the work's been done. It's really good. And so this is, this is kind of where we're coming from. Our vision is that we are healed and whole people who are free to be themselves in Christ. It's that simple. No duties. Not that, oh, we hope to become a church of a thousand and uh, No. We're a church of one. You are the church. I am the church. It's not the building. We're going to get into that too. Uh, then our mission is to help people understand, believe, and experience the love of God. The three key words, understand, believe, and experience the love of God. Because what I grew up learning about the love of God is not what I see today. And if I was told some really good news as a child, my lens was not capable of seeing a deeper truth at that time, even though good people may have taught me truth. So be careful about spitting and yelling back at those legalists back then and getting all mad at, well, that church did this. It's probably one of the hardest things my wife has taught me is to stop doing that rotten comparison, us versus them, because it's ungracious. And yet we do learn from contrast. So there's got to be a way to do the contrast without bashing. So I am thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for the upbringing I had. And some of us tried to repeat it with our own families, and you can't. It's, it's a different world. Expectations. So I want people to understand, believe, and experience the love of God like they've never experienced it before. Because I think the love of God will be the motivator for everything else you and I get to do, not have to do. You don't have to do anything. You get to, which is totally different. Right? It's a choice. Here's what growth can look like. Do you remember that uh, book, The Purpose Driven Church? Yep, I made the board read it before I got hired. <laughs> <laughs> two books. I gave him Grace Walk and The Purpose Driven Church. If you like those two, you'll like me. If you don't like them, you won't like me. It's just funny. Ugh. So anyway, I thought these were purposes that we had to worship, that we had to do ministry, that we had to do evangelism, that we had to do fellowship, and we had to do discipleship. These are the rules of the church, and every good church that grows has these things going on. Every single growing church has these five provable elements. And if you're missing one, you better bring it back up. If there's something leaking, so plug that hole, and you got to have all these elements juggling. So I, my son can juggle many balls. I can maybe do two. Three can last about two seconds. But five? And they expect the church to do this? It's really funny. But I knew there's still some value in these five things. I don't believe there's five purposes of the church. I think the intent was great. I think Rick Warren had a fantastic model that worked for him, and it helped people grow in their faith and understanding. Some grace people, if I can use that term lightly and loosely, they're the, becoming the more judgmental ones because they're saying, well, that's not grace, that's legalism. And they become the grace Gestapos, as if God gave them the magic wand and the judge thingy, that, what do you call that thingy, the hammer? 
there you go, that thing. And, uh, and think they can judge whether something is grace or law. And unfortunately, I did it too. It stinks. And everybody else can smell it except the one doing it. Until you see somebody else do it and see how terrible it is, then you go, shoot, is that what I look like? Oh, crap. Christian rules and procedures. Crap. That's what it means, just in case you didn't know. So, we now get to grace-ize these five purposes. They're not the purposes anymore. These are the five natural overflowing things that happen to any abiding believer trusting the love of Christ. These, this, these are the fruits. I think this is what can happen. And are there more? Of course there might be more. Who cares? I'm not saying this is it, but I've just hijacked what was legalistic and now found that, hey, we're going to worship. And what is worship? It's basically expressing our love to God. And not singing. You think singing in... Like our 10 minutes before our message time, that's worship? No. The whole service is worship. We worship through our giving when we do offering. That's worship through giving. We worship through listening right now. We worship through singing. We worship through making amazing coffee, Maggie. You know, like she's the best worshiper here. And then we worship through teaching the children. We worship through mopping the floor. We worship through packing boxes. We worship in all that we do. Our life is an act of worship. It's not songs. That's only one expression of worship. Number two, ministry. We serve each other. It's Christ expressing himself through us. So when we're doing these things, Maggie is serving you, making you coffee and providing great tea. She's ministering to you. Most of us just go, grab it. That is pretty good. okay. But we don't think the one who served, the ones who clean up afterwards, to do the dishes, who put them away in spots where I wouldn't have. <laughs> so, oops, that, inside voice, inside voice. <laughs> Had to. Each person serving. Brian's serving you right now by monitoring the volume of sound. Jared's serving you by watching the camera and was running the PowerPoint, focusing for you because you can't focus like the PowerPoint person has to. ADHD and PowerPoint during worship, not a good combination. It's just, oops, you know. Shelly, serving as a hall monitor greeter. You're being ministered to by so many people right now, at once. This is the body ministering to each other. When we dropped off coats to give away for that street mission, which we're going to continue to do, and whatever else happens, especially with the move, we'll clarify all that. We're serving, not just us, but others. Our life is a ministry. We're all ministers. All of us, not me. Just because I got this rev in front of my name just means I drive faster. That's all. All right. Evangelism. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Evangelism is, is not a job we have to do to build the kingdom. And I could get in trouble from somebody else uh, who sees it differently, and that's fine. You're allowed to see it differently. One of us has to be wrong. It's okay. No, okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but, <laughs> but evangelism is really just an enthusiasm of the love of Christ. 
When somebody has a new baby, especially grandmas, oh my goodness, grandmas can't shut up. Oh, let me show you pictures. Oh, look at this picture. There's an enthusiasm with a new baby. And they're just going nuts on this new baby thing. That's called enthusiasm. That's evangelizing to everyone you got a new kid. So much easier to have grandkids. You know, anyway. What? What? Yeah, amen. There we go. So really, it's not a job that we have to do. It's not going door to door. Um, evangelism is knowing the love of God, believing it, and then naturally expressing it as the Holy Spirit dictates to you, which means a lot more shutting up than it does talking. Sorry, just true. Fellowship. Oh, we love this one. Just a fancy word for food. So I say that at funerals now. Um, but it's really, it's meeting each other's needs in love. That's what fellowship is, connecting. It's part of ministry. It's just all of it. I'm just reminding you that some of these words are okay. We're allowed to use them. There's ways to redeem some of these terms that we've run away from in our journey, the pendulum swing of discovering God's grace. Sometimes we've gone a little too far, and now the Holy Spirit brings us back to a healthier perspective and a better understanding. But sometimes we have to ditch some things fully, completely scrape our plate clean, and then the Holy Spirit allows it to some stuff back on, or redeemed understandings of it. I think we're going to have that happen at this new church. I think we're going to have some redeemed understanding of some of the imagery, the icons, the order of service that they have. We're going to learn. They're also going to learn from us that there are other expressions as well. And I think this is going to be a really good, mutual, beneficial move. Discipleship. Really, it's growing in our knowledge of God's amazing love and acceptance. And just by studying and digging in deeper, listening, talking, having a Bible study, going bowling, uh, dart night, pool night, whatever it is, you go out and you connect. And as you have those discussions, you have coffee, um, you listen to uh, audio podcasts, or you, you watch YouTube videos of key topics, you come together here on Sunday morning, this is a, an element of discipleship. All these things are part of growing in our understanding. If you're, like a, if you're a reader, you'll read books galore. Like, that's, that's all, that's, this is what growth looks like. And I like that a whole lot better than the dictated, legislated ones that I saw before. Now, I was drawn to the previous one because I like structure. Structures help me to format my thinking, and there's benefit to that. So we don't throw the whole thing out. I just thought that was really cool. What does others looking, uh, uh, what loving others can look like? I want to talk about the evangelism thing for a minute because this is a key thought in my mind that I've brought to Hope Fellowship since I've been here. And I, when I first saw this next chart, uh, it has always made sense, and it remains to this day a thing that makes sense for how I see God at work in what we call evangelism. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, I did a series called Marketing Jesus. Yeah, it didn't go over well with some religious folks, but too bad. Uh, it was a really good series on evangelism. We talked about this. We even showed this, this chart can you read that? No, you can't, but that's fine. Um, I can, I can, you can, because you're writing, okay. <laughs> Smart Alec. So this is basically a, a, a phase of what can happen to an individual as they discover who God is. The part I'm going to focus on is down here. All this stuff is nice. We can look, that's not what we're going to focus on today at all. It has to do with the soil of the seed and uh, the sowing of seeds. That's, it's about that parable. That's all great. I don't want you to see all that. Who cares? Down here is really cool. You've got the cross as a symbol. 
And then you have all the way down. Up here we have going his or own way. That's a minus 12. People who don't know God exists, don't care, nothing. Zero. And here just before decision, there's a repentance and believes. The repentance does not mean beg for forgiveness. Repentance means changing your mind. Okay? Big difference. So this is really about the journey of growth. So here is where a person um, comes to a, a, a distinctive place where they say and can affirm, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died and, and, and rose again on the third day uh, as it was told in scriptures. That is a declaration that I hope for each person. That's what I'm asking people to believe. But what about all these different parts of theology? Who cares? We're going to argue about that until we're dead. It's fine. But the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for you and I and rose on the third day, that's a beautiful gospel for everyone. So here's what this chart does. Let's say we've got Ernie uh, who bumps into this person here, Fred. Okay, Ernie, you bump into Fred and you get to know this person. And suddenly, this person, Fred, is aware of the messenger, Ernie. Ernie is, doesn't know that he's Christian or anything, but there's, there's an awareness of something. That's it. Ernie's done. He just continues being real and being a friend. Then we bump into, um, has a positive attitude towards the messenger. So Diane comes in the picture. Already something's interesting here uh, with Ernie. And now Diane comes in the picture, and she helps this person a couple steps further. That's it. They're just, hey, you know, God's not weird. Christians are, but God's not, you know. Church people, I mean, you know. You know what I mean. They're, they're having a, You'd be surprised how many non-believers think the bunch of cuckoos out there. And there are those cuckoo things the system of churchianity has done to make us look strange. And uh, I'm painfully aware of them. Um, but that's all this is. And then suddenly we've got somebody else coming in here. Norma bumps into this person at the grocery store and has a conversation. Boom, moves them up one more notch. Then somebody else comes in. Wayne comes in and boom, he comes into here. And then we have wonderful individual Gail McCauley meets this person at the coffee shop, has a conversation, and leads this person to Christ. And, and she says, I led him to Christ! <laughs> but did she? No. She participated at a key place where thinking and decision-making or uh, an awakening happened. She witnessed an awakening. That's a better way to put it. But who was involved? Ernie, Diane, all kinds of, all the individuals, everybody. This is a whole family of people, all part of the journey. And then somebody else comes along and starts helping them grow in their understanding of God's grace. And different people play different roles all the way through. Everybody has a part. It always starts with really good coffee. <laughs> so I want you to see this because this has been a lens for me that, which is a contrast to what I grew up believing that you had to evangelize. And you had to get people to say the prayer. And then you could check off your little box. I led so many people to Christ this week. You have never seen in any report here at Hope Fellowship how many people have been led to Christ. It's never been in there since I've been here. I don't think it was in before either. Baptism, sure. But not who said the prayer. 
just not there. I'm more interested in people awakening at their pace in their journey. We don't know where they're at. So our move to Elmira, I think of this. I don't care if I have to win this soul. I'm just going to continue to cultivate and get to know people. Wherever we are, wherever you are, in whatever city you're in, as you drive to Elmira, that's just the place we come together for our connections and encouragement. But then you go back to your homes, wherever it may be, New Hamburg, New Hamburg, you know, or if it's in Wellesley, wherever, if it's in Waterloo and Kitchener and Breslau, wherever you are, that's where the body of Christ lives. The church is like termites all over the place. <laughs> you know? Yes. That's a bad illustration, but it just kind of came out. Anyway. <laughs> but that's it. Does that make sense? Does this give you a picture? Okay, next. Hope for the future. Here's what I hope. To become more healthy in our relationships as a family, as a church family. We always have room, and there's much work that needs to be done for us. But we can't legislate it. It has to happen. So this is my prayer. This is what I hope our leadership team will be praying for, for you, that we'll become more healthy in our relationships. That we're constantly growing in grace. There's so much more to learn. It's like that tree over there. We talked about that last week. You know, the stages of growth. Keep growing. We want to help people keep growing. To be increasing in our overflowing expression of grace, of the grace we believe in. I want to find ways to speak it and share it in a non-weird way. I want it to be an authentic way that's culturally relative Okay? It must be love in action. It's, you can say you love people, but pff, so what if you're not showing it? Big deal. I'll pray for them. That's nice. Still not showing it. Okay? Uh, my hope is that we'll connect, encourage, and be encouraged by the, by the worldwide family. That we'll realize we are part of the worldwide church of God, not the denomination. They're no longer anyway. Well, maybe they might be. I don't know. But uh, we are part of the Catholic Church. Oh, sorry. Did I say Catholic? Yes. Do you know the word Catholic means universal? That's all it means. We're not Roman Catholic, but we are part of the Catholic Church, the universal church, the one church of Jesus Christ. We just happen to be in this huddle here because each huddle has different gifts. We really do. Uh, forget this. Time's running. So, our unique journey. Here's some of the key themes that we've discovered and matured in and found more hope-filled perspectives on. The first one is this. Our view of God and a better understanding of how he views us. This is one of the biggest changes in my theology, in my understanding of who God is. From seeing God as an angry God who is easy to tick off, who is only near us when we're good and far and distant when we're bad, it's that Grover thing on Sesame Street. Near, far, that one. And that's how we've seen God. And it's true. Many of us, if we don't, if we don't see it as that ridiculous of an illustration, um, you may not realize maybe you do see God that way. Maybe you still do. Maybe that's one thing God's going to change in you this coming year. That he's actually close. I remember 100 Huntley Street, Norma Jean. Anybody remember her? 
Yeah, he's as close as the mention of his name. Remember that? That smile? All you old folks remember it. Okay, I remember. Anyway, but th- that, even though that song is so corny to me at my age, because I heard it so often, the words are he's close as your breath. He's here now. He's in you, indwelt, in, through, for, around. And wherever you go, he goes. So, and wherever the others go, he goes. It's, he's everywhere. I think that's a powerful picture. Um, we know the character of the Father by looking at the Son. We always thought God, the Father, and Jesus were different. We thought the Holy Spirit was a floating thingy, whatever. And we thought God was, all right, come on. Come on, Jesus, get your act together down there. Ship, shape them up and get them behaving right. And Jesus, okay, I got this, God, I got this. Not at all. To discover when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're the same. To see Jesus as exactly the same as the Father causes us to question how we viewed the Father. And if you see the Father as different than Jesus, there's a problem. It's in your thinking. And when we can switch that to a to what the scriptures say. How about just believe the words of Jesus, okay? He said it. I'll, I'll take him out of his word. I think he knows his daddy better than all of us. So that was a really cool view. Love, God is love, period. Love is agape, other-centered. That was a really big revelation. Number two, that we have a new nature. Thanks to Christ dying on the cross and raising us all to new life, our identity in Christ is key. This is the number one truth that has transformed my life and has transformed almost every person's life here is to know your identity in Christ. We have a new nature, the nature of Christ. And as I continue to study and expand, that's expanding too because there's a bit of a rabbit trail uh, on this one, nature. Well, what happened then? What, yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a really big, big question. Um, and what does our nature look like? What was Adam and Eve's nature? Um, what died? Well, clearly their spirits couldn't have died because spirits don't die. So what died? They died in their mind. And there's a whole bunch of stuff throughout Scripture. We've taught on it many times. Uh, I don't have time today to dig into all those key points. But there's enough verses to show us that uh, even a verse of uh, the prodigal son, he was dead and now is alive. He's come home. Was he really dead? No, but in his mind he was, and he, he was lost and came back home. So that, there's a lot of words we need to revisit and rethink through because we've been told definitions in churchianity, and that's what we're stuck with. I'm here to tell you the menu item's bigger. There are more items on the menu to understand, more words that are available to us, more definitions of certain words than what we have been told. And I find that exciting. Somebody asked me, well, doesn't that make things scary? Because now what do you believe? What, what, everything I've believed is based on some really key things and it's shaking up. Oh no, what if I don't believe in anything after? Oh, you're probably in a really good place if you're asking that question. It's difficult, it's scary. But who's in charge of your growth? Holy Spirit, not you. He's got you. He'll let you dangle to the end of nothing if you have to because he, he knows that's what's going to have to happen for you to come back to wherever you need to be. This is, this is the deconstructing and reconstructing of our faith. His faith, not ours. Huh. That was pretty cool. 
Number three, I didn't know that I was one with Christ, that I was in union with Christ. This was a huge one. Colossians 1.27, the key verse for this church. Psst, shh, here's the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're one. He's in. I always thought God was outside. So I went in to see a bad movie. He had to hang out outside. He couldn't come in. This is too holy. You know, he can't handle sin. Wait a minute. He became sin. What are you talking about? Of course he can handle it. It's us who can't handle it. <laughs> anyway, I thought it's a beautiful picture. Number four, abiding. The idea of abiding. Uh, a beautiful term that I didn't know much about uh, until I started growing in grace some more. Uh, it's a better understanding of what it really means. This is a yielding and a surrendering to what the Spirit of Christ in me is leading me in, causing me to think about and just responding. We're okay. We don't need a pastor to tell us what to do. We don't need a church to tell us what to do. We need a church to practice all this stuff and find grace when we mess up. We need a safe place to practice all this love and forgiveness. Pastors are just here to teach and equip the saints to do the work. There's a whole bunch of roles. That's just, mine's just one. It's like all of you each have a role. Find it. Not the dice either. You know, which one will be today? I can do nothing on my own initiative. This is where Jesus was talking about abiding. Jesus modeled how to live the Christian life. It's not what would Jesus do. It's watch what Jesus does and how he did it. He always said, hey, I do nothing on my own initiative. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. Pause. Which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. The man Jesus didn't do any miracles in his own human strength. It was God doing it through him. He was listening, having conversations with God, minute by minute, instant by instant. Here's a couple of really silly ones, because we're, we're wondering about a couple stories, like the first miracle. What was his first miracle? Anybody remember? Dan, shh. Ah. Yes. He's got the right answers. I love it. He turned water into wine. But here's the funny part about the story, the abiding. This is where it comes in. He's listening to his father the whole time. He's constantly having conversations with his papa. And his mama comes to him. Said, son, throw out the wine. Make some wine. Guys, listen to him. Do what he says. Oh, mama, mama, my time has not come. And he was right. His time hadn't come. But about five seconds later, God, his papa, whispers in his ear, uh, now's the time. Okay. Okay, now it's time. Go to, and it was like five-second difference. But when he's talking to his mom, it wasn't the time. But we read, well, then what did he do? Did he disobey? Did his mama twist his arm? No. God's in charge of all the micro steps and voicing that has to happen to you and to me. Another time, he was supposed to go with him to Jerusalem. And uh, he said, let's go up to the city. Oh, I, I'm going to stay back for a little bit. You guys go ahead. Go ahead without me to Jerusalem. Be with you later. Well, five minutes later, and now you can go. Oh, but they just left. I could have gone with them. You know, but no, then he goes. Now is the time. We're not good with that. 
We want to react. We want now. We want our vending machine answers. We want our move to be smooth. We don't want any questions. We, uh, honestly, even in our faith, what about this? What about this? What about this? I know my first year of growing in my understanding of my identity in Christ and learning some of these things I'm sharing with you, I called so many pastors. I grilled, what about this? What about this? Because how does it fit? How does this work? I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to give answers because I was under the impression I was supposed to be the answer person. And I can't preach something I don't believe. I can't fake anything. I never have been able to. I cannot just toe a line. I've never been able to do that. You got to pay more for fake. And that's expensive. So, but discovering that Christ is in me whispering direction, which, oh wait, that means I have to learn to hear his voice. Discover what it sounds like. And live meditatively, cautiously, carefully, not rushing ahead, which I don't do well. Me and slow don't go together very well. I don't sit still well. But I'm learning. I'm learning. Abiding. Beautiful, beautiful. And I'm not done learning. This is a big topic that we're going to continue to grow in. Number five. Oops. As the Father sent me, I also send you. His Father sent him to abide in him, the Father. Now Jesus is saying, now you abide in me. That's what you model. If you want to do one thing that Jesus did, what would Jesus do? He abided in the Father. That's the only what would Jesus do thing you can do. Because if you think that you can do what Jesus did, then now you have to play God. You have to, in any circumstance, decide, what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes right now, given these circumstances and all the scenarios that are before me? Which one would Jesus do? And it's up to me now to determine what Jesus would do. I can't handle that kind of stress. Neither can you. We're not called to. Most of us are full of anxiety and stress because we're so overthinking. We don't know how to rest. That's another sermon series. And seriously. Number five, obedience. In my background, it's a swear word. Nobody liked it. We have to obey. We club people over the head. The Bible says you must obey. You must obey your leaders. <laughs> smart one for church boards who sign, make people sign a membership declaration of all the stuff they're going to obey and do. <laughs> Got them. Not here. Not here. Obedience is a natural overflow of the abiding believer. I want to obey what the Spirit of Christ tells me. I want to listen to these commands. The New Testament is filled with tons of commands. Don't do this. It's not good for you. Repercussions are bad. And yet we throw, but the Bible says, in front of it, and now what do people do when they're told something of what to do? The natural response is what? Nah. I'm not going to do it. Wet paint. <laughs> sure. You know, you touch it. The same thing when we tell people they must. There's a rejection of it. But if you share good news and give freedom to people, when you give freedom, you can't control them. If you're controlling them, they're not free. Think about that. 
if we're really telling people they're set free, that means we can't control them. Oh, but, but they have to behave like this. Really? Who said? My denomination. Oh, and the other, all the other 144,000 are wrong? <laughs> and this is the last one. We're going to deal with this next week. Forgiveness. It's a big topic. We've been talking about it for a while, but I'll, I'll deal with that next. Let's, let's end it here. But next week, we've got 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then we're done. And we have our final celebration service here on the 23rd. Lots going on. But this has been the journey of learning and growing. Do you remember some of these things? Do you remember when you had a different perspective? And now look at the perspective you have now, how much has changed. We need to celebrate the gap, but the reason I'm sharing this is for this. Here's the point. Don't forget what you previously believed. There are lots of people still there. And be gracious. It's not your job to convince them because no one person shook you and convinced you or had a Facebook argument and you believed it because of an argument. Arguments never convince people. But don't forget where you've come from. Celebrate your journey where you're at right now from what you believed last week to what you believed five years ago to what you believed as a child. Celebrate each stage because you're not done. Not at all. And I like that. Let's pray.